Brian O'Driscoll on Off the Ball with Vodafone, official sponsors of the Irish rugby team. Team of us, everyone in. It's spinning, it's spinning. Jonathan Sexton has made it. Do you feel moderately happy? No, I feel like I've been kissing my sister, I suppose. In the pocket for his drop goal attempt. Here he goes, O'Gara. He's done it. That surely is the grand slam. We target players all the time. That's part of rugby, isn't it? Let me know. Saxton, wonderful pass and Stockdale finishes. There'll be more than grenades. There'll be full tanks and, and, and full shells landing on the Aviva. Grand Slam winners on St. Patrick's Day at Twickenham. Yeah, that intro is prophetic and sad. What's spinning this week has been Irish heads after the absolute mauling we suffered at the hands of England at the Aviva last week. It is Friday afternoon. If you're watching this across all of our platforms, Brian O'Driscoll is with us in studio with our Keith Wood on uh, Skype as well. Gentlemen, good afternoon to you. How are you doing? Good afternoon, Ger. Um, how, how much of an overreaction, Brian, has there been? Are we right to be completely dismayed as an Irish <laughs> rugby sporting public? Absolutely not. Um, I've, I've read a lot of it during the week and... Um, you know, I think we've all been licking our wounds, pundits, um, journalists, um, players, coaches, everyone, um, <clears throat> because perhaps retrospectively did we get overly hyped about where this Irish team is? Maybe a little. That said, some of what's been written this week and the negatives around the team and where we're, where we're at are just completely blown out of all proportion. It's... Um, it's emphasised because it was England, because it's the team that we like to beat most and because we got mauled by them and beaten up by them on our own patch. So that is a, a lot to take in. But it's the time to have done it. You know, if that happened in a World Cup quarterfinal, that is really painful to take. It happens in February of a World Cup year. You learn something from it and you react to it in a positive way. It's not the end of the world. It also and releases the valve of expectation now as well. We were absolutely getting carried away with, the, with ourselves. Um, I find it very difficult to see how we wouldn't be in a World Cup final. And, um, and now the reality is that, you know, we, we got brought down a peg or two. And I think that's a good thing from everyone's perspective. And if I was Joe Schmidt secretly, you know, it's not never nice losing to an adversary, but, um, but to, to, to be able to have his team put into a more realistic position, I think, will suit him an awful lot better. For me, the the reaction that at the core of the reaction has been the fact that we were so physically inferior to England, and it's hard to see how tactics or anything can make our guys grow as much as they need to be to be able to take on the Vinopolas or Manitoulagi. That's that's the the, the root fear is that like it's something fundamentally is different between these two teams. They're bigger and stronger and we can't fix that. No, I, I think that was one game. I think you play that again next week and that doesn't happen. Why um, not? So, because I, I, so much is about it is, is the, of the game of rugby is a state of mind. And it's very not hard to stay at, at, at the peak of your powers for a concerted period of time because you're there to be knocked. And everyone ups their game when you're number two in the world or you're the best team in the Northern Hemisphere. Everyone knows they have to play their best game to beat you. So you're playing teams that are so incredibly motivated. People will say you should always be motivated as a professional rugby player. Yes, but your human instinct is that at times you can't keep your foot on the accelerator indefinitely. You, you know, it, it, you ease it off and, it, and you put it into third sometimes. And as a result, you know, when you do play in third or fourth gear and a team like England plays in fifth and sixth gear, they have too much for you. And, and the game of rugby is very simple when, when you win collisions, when you win the contact zone. The knock-on effect in attack and defence, it, it, they're two very separate games. You're on the back foot if you're conceding yardage and you know, your, your hand is forced, you're having to kick against your will, or you're running down dead alleys. Um, and conversely, when, when England you know, were making all those collision wins and having one, two second rooks and getting offloads away, the game seemed so easy to them. Their opportunities were aplenty. So it's, 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 when you break it down, it's a, it's a very simplified game if you are physical at that contact area, which they undoubtedly were a lot more than us. And I think that'll be the thing that, for me, that, that will hurt this Irish team the most, is that their, their intent and their um, intensity didn't seem to be able to match England's. Even though they saw them coming at them ferociously early on, they weren't able to raise their game enough to counteract that. Yes, they got themselves back in the game, but they, 
you know, they, I think they got a bit shell-shocked about the intensity of it. And in fairness to England, they managed to keep it up for close to 80 minutes. Yeah, so hopefully that, that lesson can uh, be turned around. Keith, I guess the, the one thing that gives most rugby fans comfort is that we've seen this happen a million times in the back-to-backs in the European Cup, where one team gets absolutely annihilated by the opposition, and it seems like they're a foot smaller and two stone lighter. And then the following week they go out and they're the aggressors. And all of a sudden the opposition feels like they can't do all the things that came naturally to them last week, which goes back to the point that rugby is first a fight. Uh, it is. And I think we, we didn't get to the pitch of the fight um, last week. And I, first time ever, I agree entirely with what Brian has just said through everything there. It is all in the mind. Um, and if you're not on the absolute top, the margins are so small at the moment. If you're not at the absolute top of your game, you don't, um, you just don't get the result when a team turns up and plays. So when we looked at, uh, as our preview for last week on it, and we, Brian and I were both very confident that Ireland would win, um, but we would have expected the performance to start from the very start, and it didn't. And when that happened, I, I thought we struggled to come to terms with the fact that we weren't in uh, the ascendancy at all, that we weren't taking control of the game. And even though we got ourselves back into it, um, we were kind of hanging on at times. You know, they were they were the ones putting us under huge pressure all the time, both with and without the ball. And they just played incredibly smart and moved us around the field an awful lot. And But that changes in a week. So if you say, well, we didn't get it right this Saturday, then you can get it right the next Saturday. So that's what we're hoping for. I think it becomes a different conversation if it doesn't go well for us this weekend, because just two matches then, and can you just imagine the amount of noise that'll, that'll come out after, um, if Ireland didn't win tomorrow? Yeah. You know, and Which I still expect them to go and win, and I still think it's an incredibly tough game, but I don't take any of it for granted. And I'd also say that, like, we were sitting inside that studio last week, and we're really confident. I don't think we were complacent, but there's no way the team is kind of listening to all of us either. You know what I mean? And they have to take it far more seriously. And it just gets to that one moment or that um, uh, that one mental part of a game. And if you're off a little bit, you don't win those games. And the standard has gotten off that higher. Uh, is, is there a concern, though, that they weren't able to <clears throat> rescue after the 10 minutes, after that shell shock, to go, OK, right. Let's start again, let's hit the reset button, let's decide that we're going to suddenly be the aggressor. So they couldn't match what England were doing in the middle of the game. No, they couldn't, but strangely, with 20 minutes to go, I still felt as though Ireland were going to get it done. And, it, you know, you're, I'm kind of conflicting with, my, with, with what I've said initially to, to that, because um, in the end, the scoreline flattered us a little bit because we were blown away in that last 20 minutes. Yeah. But on 20 minutes, when we got back to four points, I thought there's, a, there's every chance that we can win this game. We're not playing well. We're losing a lot of the collisions. Um, but we've managed to keep that scoreboard ticking over. We've taken a chance. If we get another penalty, will we be very hard to be stopped from another mall? Yes. Would you imagine we'll get a penalty or get another opportunity like that? Absolutely. Um, but it didn't transpire that way. You know, they got a, a quick penalty thereafter and then, uh, and then they got that breakaway, well, the breakaway score, the, the Henry Slade's um, first try. Um, and, and that was ultimately game over. And you, you know, the, a try in that game was, was huge and you could feel the momentum swing all with England then. And once they got two scores ahead, Ireland had to chase a little bit. And I was in the studio with, with Johnny uh, Wilkinson and I was literally having the conversation with him uh, about Ireland have to be careful not to give England a, a bonus point try when the inter- intercept was thrown. And, yeah. you know, it, it's it's a tricky one because you've got to chase the game, you've got to try and get something out of it, but at the same time you've got to be mindful not to give up those uh, try bonuses. And, and ultimately getting conceding five and getting nothing is is pretty painful to take in your first home game. Yeah, it, it, it means that recovery in the championship is going to be a bit of a miracle. But So what are the lessons? That you learn from a performance like that is it beyond don't be complacent like which is kind of uh, I, I thought their detail wasn't as good as, as it ordinarily um, is I think their lines of running their intent when they weren't getting the ball the deception um, just the small little things that you always associate with Joe Schmidt teams I thought was just a little bit off passes not quite in front um, you know stuck you know back shoulder and as a result you know gave gave Good opportunities for England to get in and, and smash, you know, follow through in tackles. You know, the, the Henry Slade tackle on Robbie Henshaw is a perfect example. 
um, albeit it was great defence, just those small margins, as Keith mentioned, they're the difference between a little bit of success and, and being knocked behind the advantage line. So I think if you get those things right first and foremost, um, and you know, it's the selflessness of when you're not getting the ball, that's what creates opportunities for other players where you show as if you've got the same intent as you're about to get it yeah. because as soon as you switch off even five or ten percent defenders able to read that from you know the vision that they're looking at and they push off immediately and the knock-on effect is it's Everybody's more difficult to break a line yeah. so I just thought everyone's timing was a, a fraction off no one really had a great game albeit no one had a terrible game i thought some of the criticism of robbie henshaw at full back was a little bit unwarranted i think if rob carney was back there the way Eng the england game plan um was was hatched i think he would have had a, a tough day at the office as well maybe he might have covered the space a little bit better but i felt robbie henshaw could have gotten a little bit more help from his wingers um you know, particularly when he was, you know, when he was chasing kicks and then, you know, having to cover back the other side of the field. You know, that one that he sliced into touch off his left foot springs to mind, where he was pulled around the park. Should that have been that's, 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 there? But that's got to be, a, you know, a, in unison. That's got to. You, you've got to understand where your fullback is when he's when he's had to, you know, have a 50, 60 meter um, effort to then return that again with with ten or twenty more meters to get back to a point of covering a kick. You've got to help him out a small bit, and I felt. Um, you know, with a bit more of experience there, you know, maybe Stockdale could have pushed back. He could have held off a little bit on the Nile try. I know that he got a tricky bounce, but we know the rugby ball bounces in very strange ways. And he knows that. And he knows yeah. that. But, you know, I, I saw Shane Horgan talking about it. I think he could have cooled the Jets a small bit coming in. He rushed in and, and made his decision very quickly and, and offered that to Elliot Daly, that space in behind. Um, Whereas a little bit more experience will show you that you, you, you try and find yourself in between to add confusion to the decision-making of the player in possession of the ball. And, you know, Daly immediately, by seeing Stockdale's line, you the only space here for me is to nudge in behind and kick to, to regain, and they did it brilliantly. Um, so it's those small things that you have to learn, and that comes with, with experience. Stockdale's 21 years of age. Of yeah. course he's not going to know it all, and he'll be better for that. But um, it's, it's such a great, um, it's a very exciting game this weekend because we're going to really see what Ireland are made of now. Under pressure, uh, first time there's been real scrutiny in a long time on them um, because there's been, they've, they've, there's been expectation and they've always delivered. And, yes, and last week was the first time that they didn't deliver. Um, and now they can't afford to not deliver a second week because we know how difficult it can be over Murrayfield. Yeah, tournament's over from an Ireland perspective if they lose this game. Um, Keith, what about the defence? Obviously, Andy Farrell is the next Ireland head coach, uh, so, and his reputation has rightly been embellished over the last two seasons, basically the Lions tour and then everything that's happened with Ireland up to uh, the last New Zealand game. What happened to our defence that uh, England were so, so wanton in their disregard for our plans? Well, there was a couple of things on it. One is um, England's performance in this. England were incredibly basic in their game plan and had the highest level of efficiency I've seen that group of players play in. They, they made precious few mistakes in the whole game. They just did it really, really simply. So that on the one side, because they have to get credit for how they actually played. The other side of it was, I still think, because we didn't get to the pitch of the battle. We just didn't get there at the very start. Suddenly, that mental element of it, you're just not fully in control of those contact collisions. So for England doing incredibly well and us just being a little bit off the mark, we were soaking a lot of tackles. We weren't, we weren't getting the, the front foot. We had no turnovers. Like, when have we last had that sort of situation where we haven't had two or three guys clamping on a ball? So there was no, nothing to kind of build up a sense of energy over with it either. And for the try at the very start, which... I have to say, and I, I think we talked about it the other day, uh, how quickly they had that play, that throw over the top, with two or three Ireland players still running back into the line, not quite sure what was happening. Like, we were on the back foot, and Keith Earl's view to it was to get up and make man and ball. It's a cracking pass. We're too narrow. He shouldn't, have, he shouldn't have done it. He could have held off just a little bit. He made the decision, and he, we suffer for it, and he put his hand up to say it too. So... Um, I would still say that that is one of our areas of weakness when when teams are putting us under a lot of pressure is we do go a little bit narrow. But I think he made a call and it was the wrong one. 
are there just days like that when the defence, whatever your systems are, not that they're irrelevant, but that they, they break down because there's a complete systems failure on every aspect of the game? And uh, that's not really the hallmark of Andy Farrell's defence. Like it wasn't a chess match, basically, where the England coach looked at exactly what they were going to do and say, oh, yeah, Farrell's defence is weak here, 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 and here, and that's what we're going to do. Well, well, they probably did a bit of that. They did, in, in truth. I think it's... Um, let, let's not take away from England's performance as well. They were outstanding. As good as they've been since the last World Cup. As good as I can remember. And... Um, and you know th- moments like that Farrell pass and the um, Henry Slade pass that I felt was was a good pass as well to Johnny May. Everyone giving out about it being forward. You know you can the ball can move. It seems strange the ball can move forward, but yes, if it's released backwards, it's it's a legal pass. Yeah, and lots, and lots of people momentum and people will be confused by that. Um, but I, it's the first time that I've seen Joe Schmidt out tacticked. Um, I think they. I think New Zealand um, made a huge error in not going to to the kick more often because that is the viable option. There is such a huge expectation on your fullback in the Irish jersey um, to cover so much grass that you have to have to simply go to the kick game, and it's not kick to concede possession. It's kick to regain, as England managed to do time and again. So from the kickoff, I, from the kickoff, yeah. from the from the contest, and we, we talked about it on Friday about Ben Young's talking about you know the game is going to be one in the air and one on the ground. Well, they won the ground. I think they got three turnovers to n- none for Ireland, um, and certainly they won the battle in the air. So you wi- you have those small little victories. And they might seem inconsequential, but it's gaining possession or gaining territory and getting the ball back um, you know, more often than you're conceding it. And, and all of those things ratchet up to, um, to add to your, your game plan and your momentum swing. And particularly when you're carrying the way they were carrying, I just everything um, worked against us on the day because you know, those small moments um, were lost by, by Ireland and, and, you know, and comfortably won by England, really. Yeah, I, Keith, we talked a bit, a bit about this um, recently, about the style of playing, and Joshua's been a little bit defensive about whether or not there is a, a plan A, um, plan B, plan C, and he's like, look, we've got a very, very varied game plan, uh, and um, you know, we're happy with the analysis that we do, and if anybody else wants to do their analysis out there, uh, away they go. But our style of play is to try and smother the opposition, to get a lead, to control possession, and to make sure that they make mistakes. Um, and that's well and good when you're ahead, it's brilliant. When you're behind, it's kind of difficult to chase the game that way. Yeah, it can be difficult, but I, I'd still go back, and I'm, I'm hoping I'm right in this instance, that it does come down to the fact that we were a bit off the mark because we we're playing a team that, if they play like that, they will beat most teams. Right? So we need to have an ability that if we are not winning the collisions, if we're not getting fastball, if we're not in the, the parts of the field that we want to be. So we were actually just outside our 22 for large tracks of the game. Um, it's very hard to be very attacking-minded and change it up in that instance. So I don't know. We, we didn't show us last week that we have that solution. So it isn't that whether we have a, um, a plan A, plan B, plan C, but we need to be able to get momentum onto the ball uh, when we're under huge pressure, that level of pressure. And we didn't do it last week. So th- I think that's the query, maybe not asked in that fashion. And Joe reacted very badly to it because he's under pressure this week. Yeah, that, that question has come in from Noel Cahill on YouTube. Does Brian agree with Andy Dunn that Ireland should play more open and not always looking to create rooks? It's not a million miles away from the same question about creating forward momentum. Ireland choose to do it. We've got this uh, stat where we've got like nearly twice as many rooks in the game that we win than uh, the, the other top tier nations because we don't look for offloads. But has it not been successful? It has, yeah. So why are we trying to reinvent the wheel because of one loss? Because we got outmuscled and psychologically a team got the better of us. I, I, I don't think it's a technical issue that it, it's completely a psychological and a mental issue where we were beaten last weekend. Is Just that they had their head switched on that little bit more than us. They were ready for battle and... Um, it's not a template to beat us though, is and it? And we thought that we didn't have to be as emotionally charged as we needed to be to, to match them and to, to be able to take what they had to throw at us. I think technically 
And from a game plan perspective, we are in terrific shape. We, um, as I mentioned already, that our, our detail was a little bit off. And when it's off, it looks as though we don't really have any terrific shape or we don't have any cutting edge. Um, whereas you pull, you know, you modify that ever so slightly and everyone runs a little bit of a better line. Someone does their job, deepens a rook or holds someone into a rook. All of a sudden you create space for the first time ever. And it's, it's um, a compliment to Joe Schmidt team that I, I, I saw England copying some of the plays of trying to lengthen rooks and trying to stop the negative guard um, coming across and plugging in on, on you know, the far side of the rook and Billy Vanapola, Maratosi are trying to hold people back. Plays that we've seen Jamie Heesop being involved with CJ Stander in for years, plays that Ireland have had huge success with. Um, of trying to go after where Ireland have had success and I think that's a, it's, it's a really good um, way of going after sides that are very difficult to beat. What is it that they do and why do they do it? They do it because they find other sides struggle to deal with the way they're playing the game. Well, why not play a little bit of their own game plan against them? They do it because they find it hard for sides to defend. Maybe they'll find it hard to defend likewise. And I think that's what England went. They attacked around our rook, they attacked... But that's uh, terrifying, right? Because they've, they've cracked our code. Yeah, but it's not, it's not a, you know, it's, it's one game. It's, it's, well, so South it's not, we don't have a code. I, I, you know, we do go, go about our, our business a particular way where we do hold the ball through possession and we do wait for teams to, you know, to concede penalties and now we're kicking to the corner because we back our mall and, and, and all of a sudden this isn't good enough no, anymore I, well, for, for well, people. That it's that winning style, that, that, you know, the tries that we scored against England, the, you know, the Stockdale try against New Zealand, against the best defences, that 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 that's not a good enough try, that they knew exactly what to do. They, they contorted the defence to make it do something that they wanted it to and then took advantage, kicked to, to regather exactly what England did. So we've done, England have done to us what we did to New Zealand. So I, I, I just don't see what, what the negative around it all is. We, we're just a little bit off. And if we have the same performance and the same intensity this weekend, yeah, maybe there'll be more reason to worry. But I, I just don't see what all this panic is about. I guess it's that a team like England are very similar in physical stature to the team in South Africa who we more than likely will be playing in the quarterfinals. And well, it's, we're, we're it's not going to be a cakewalk. If we, do, if we do top the pool and we do play against South Africa, it will be a ferocious game. And we'll lose bodies in that game because of the ferocity of it. But I think that we'll have a few tricks up our sleeve and that we'll be able to think our way around the game and that we'll be ready for that. And there's no way that you won't be emotionally at fever pitch um, in a quarterfinal of a World Cup having never previously been in a World Cup semi-final. So if we do go to that, to that place against South Africa, I, I think we won't lose the game on emotion. Well, that's the point Paul Lynch is making on Facebook as well. Being realistic, would we not trade a crap Six Nations for a World Cup semi? I'm sure everyone would. Is this year not all focused on the World Cup? Um, Keith, I guess that's uh, another one to put to you. Why do we start tournaments so slow? Lost to England, lucky win to France, lost to Scotland in the last three years. Is, that, is there any connection to that or is that just um, a weird sequence of results? Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I thought actually the last three or the, the three first games of the last season have been pretty poor. And we've managed to get the results um, out of it with France last year in particular, which was a, an incredible result and showed incredible um, uh, mental strength to all those phases to get that drop goal at the end. Um, I don't quite know why it is, but what, and the only thing I would differ with Brian on it is in this instance, if this happens again, we need to have a way of getting out of it, whatever that is. That's what makes it awkward. I agree with Brian entirely. I think it is to do with just being off a little. And I think we'll see a rebound uh, this week. And I do think it's a great time of the year um, in a World Cup year to actually to, to, to realise it. Because we are going to meet that level of, of aggression and uh, physicality against uh, South Africa, as an example. So what happens if they we're not exactly in control. If they're winning all the collisions, what do we do then? So we've seven or eight or nine months to figure that out. And we need to be able to figure that out. But that's the first time we've really, really been exposed in that fashion. And it took England to play almost perfectly for 80 minutes. 
I guess we, we, we must have had wins against teams who were bigger than us before where we were losing those collisions, but we managed to think our way around them. Yeah, but because, you know, because there was a W at the end of it, you know, papers over at the cracks. But there's no papering over cracks in video sessions. And so through any victory, Joe will over always pick out five or six areas that you can improve on and that you were lucky to get away with something because of a missed tackle or because someone switched off in defence. You know, against better teams in, in bigger games, those sort of moments don't happen. So he'll always find reasons to get better through the victories. And just because you've won doesn't mean, oh, sure, that's great. You, yeah. know, we, we, you know, the mood is completely different. Far from it. And also through defeat, he'll have shown some of the very positive moments. You know, the, that mall try that they scored, like that was almost undefendable. They went with a 12-man line-out. Um, you know, we've seen it in the past, um, but never really to, to that effect before. So that's a huge bonus to take. Ireland are almost undefendable from five metres out now. They get so many scores, be it through Bundiaki or through any of the, either the props or you know, the back rowers picking and jamming. They're just, they're relentless. They're almost like Exeter are in the, in the English Premiership. Their, their, their strike rate from you know, five or 10 metres out is you know, 95%. Um, so if this I, was back-to-back -back fixtures, what would our game plan be this week that would be different? I, I think you'd forget about game plans. It, that wouldn't be your focus wouldn't be your focus. Your focus would be about getting your top three or four inches right and being ready for the battle. And do you know what? This is a war. So roll your sleeves up because we're in this together now. Um, and once you, once you flick that switch and, and you change that mentality and that's your focus, the, the game plan can, yeah, it becomes secondary. Yeah, do whatever you're Because if you win that collision zone, the game plan takes care of itself a little bit more and everything runs into shape. But when your game plan falls apart, when you lose collisions. And, and, and that's why we looked so blunt, because you're on the back foot and everyone's stuttering and all of a sudden the line that you thought you were going to be running, you're actually running it from two yards behind where you originally thought you were going to be. And now I haven't got my timing correct and I'm not sticking any defender down as a result of that. And the knock-on effect can, can be incrementally negative. Yeah, well, Ron Nagar was talking about like even the position of the kicker, like if you're leaning backwards, if you're leaning forwards, it's just vastly different in, the, in terms of the outcome. The range of outcomes is massive, despite the fact that it's literally a matter of inches. Mm. And so that's kind of defining momentum. Uh, loads more comments coming in. Keith, I want to get to this one before we start talking properly about the game at the weekend, because it's the other big news that has emerged in the last 24 hours. Uh, Just Incredible uh, is the username on YouTube, so there you go. Uh, will Sean O'Brien be bombed out of the squad a la Zeebo? No. I don't, I don't see that in any way, shape or form. Um, I think he... He's made a decision for what he's going to do after a World Cup. It's what every single player tends to do. They use the World Cup as a cycle. Um, he will be 32, I think, when World Cup is over and he goes overseas. I say he'll be bombed out of the squad after that because he won't be playing in Ireland. But I think that's fine and acceptable. The thing with Zebo was once he announced that he was signing, he was bombed out of the squad. Uh, but also there's driving to get to a World Cup. And that's the difference. And I, look, I still felt I'd like to have had Zebo in there. But Joe made the view. He said, no, we're planning for the World Cup. This is the thing that's important. Ireland have never got past the quarterfinal. Time to kind of change that up. And he wanted to have all his players available for him up to and including the World Cup. Um, Sean O'Brien is fully available all the way up until the World Cup. You have to remember, Joe Schmidt is leaving after the World Cup too. Um... And maybe if there was a situation where Sean O'Brien was, it was a 50-50 call between him and a Josh van der Fleer or a, you know, Dan Levy for one reason or another, um, maybe then it would work against him. But ultimately, because Joe is gone, he wants his best squad. He's not thinking about the future. He is thinking about his best players, his best leaders, those that can win him a World Cup or get to a, a final of a World Cup. Um, and Sean O'Brien... You know, from a mentality point of view, and interestingly, you know, seeing him, seeing him back in the team this week, I think his communication and what he offers the team from a voice perspective. Talk to us about that, will you? Because well, I was listening to the game again a couple of times, and I turned the volume up a good bit, and all you could hear was English voices. I literally, for 60, 63 or four minutes until Sean came in, you couldn't hear an Irish voice. And I understand when you're on the back foot, it's difficult to get your communication up, but that's probably the time to do it all the more. But Owen Farrell was more talkative than the referee. And, and it was, he wasn't talking to the ref. He was just chatting in defence non-stop. And it's hard to not you know, 
be, I wouldn't quite say be in awe of him, but be amazed by his, his engine and his willingness to, con to be relentless. It is just never ending. And even in collisions, he was shouting through collisions. <laughs> I, I was like, is that his voice? Is he not making that tackle? Very distinctive voice. Yeah, it, was, yeah. it was brilliant. But you get that with Shawnee the whole time. If you listen to the referee, Mike, anytime he's in around the rook, and it, he's, Sean has quite a, quite a distinctive also voice distinctive. as well. <laughs> so you'll hear a lot of that squeakiness and constant talk. And it's, you know, reaffirmation of what's happening to the referee. We're onside, we're onside, or he's got his hands on the, on the ball. Let's scrum half. It's out, referee. It's out. Referee. It's yeah. a small little chat that then gives the rest of his team a confidence to then get off the line and to play. And, and when he shouts, it's out. You know, and he takes a step forward, so does everyone else. And that's what leadership is really about. It's not about what someone says in a team tunnel or in the dressing room beforehand. It's actually that small little thing to, to bring, drag the team with you. And I think that's why he's in the team at number seven this week. A bit worrying that there weren't more voices that you would have expected a few more people to be kind of a bit like that, given the level of experience and success that we've come through? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Um, I mean, CJ Sander was playing with a broken face, so maybe that's why he wasn't yeah. shouting too much. Um, now, Peter Romani probably had one of his quieter games, but um, you know, we thought that we absolutely had the ascendancy at, at back row other than Billy Vanapola, if we could keep him quiet. We certainly didn't do that. I thought Tom Curry was brilliant uh, and even Wilson got through an awful lot of work. So, um, yeah, I think when you're perhaps not having your best game and you're finding yourself on the back foot, it, it's more difficult to talk. Yeah. It's more difficult to be that, that focal point in that person to grasp by by the throat and go right here we go I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna take this on and and it's hard not to get frustrated when it's not going for you so um, yeah, it's I, I, again I don't know I'm not I'm not part of, of I haven't been privy of that team for a number of years but one thing I do know is that Sean O'Brien has always been one of the best communicators and I think that's a big part his aggression and his nastiness and and the edge that he brings in the psychological place he gets himself every single game is part of the reason that he's in the team this week. Yeah, yeah. Um, one last point on, on Sean O'Brien as well. Keith, he owes Irish rugby nothing at this point. He'll be 32, as you said, when the um, World Cup is over. And apparently London Irish are offering a three-year deal. So it's a it's a great deal for somebody at that stage of his career to be getting in terms of security and money. And like, you know, it also turns out that Leinster have a couple of back rowers coming through who uh, are, by all accounts, very good. So... Fair play to him. Congratulations on an amazing career and uh, off you go and have a great World Cup. Yeah, I think it's fantastic business for everybody, actually, because he gets uh, an, an extension onto his career. He gets to play into his mid-30s, which is, which is fantastic for him. Um, I always still think that we have the ability to pick those players if and when we ever need it. I think we can still do that. It's not the end of the world. We don't have to weep for him just yet, you know. And But it's great business for the IRFU as well because for them to try and hold on to him, um, you know, it's a big salary and, you know, this is a business and he has been injured quite a lot. So I think they get somebody else carries the salary and we maybe could use him if we if we so need, if there's a change, if there's exceptional circumstances, as people say, and we haven't seen a whole lot of those lately. But if there was, so that is, and it's very close. I know it. Look, I played in England for, for seven or eight years. Uh, I know the policy was different then. Um, uh, if you, I always say it, if you write a good contract, you can do most things. It isn't just the money. It is over how much time you can have. If you write it in to say, I really would want to be available for all the IRFU training camps, why not do that? Why not look at it differently? Why not just say it isn't just the number? It's actually what we actually do to play. It's it's how often I can come back to play for Ireland, if I, that were to be the case. I think this last year has hurt Sean definitely contract wise. You know, being out as being injured, um, a couple of big injuries. You know, go stemming back to the to the Six Nations last year, not yeah. really you know being back for fifteen minutes and then another surgery. So he's had three, certainly three surgeries up to this point in in the last year and. When you get to 32 years of age, the IRFU, you know, get a little bit more miserly with offering, you know, money for your services. Then they want something, you know, they want pay for play. And um, a lot of that will be written into contracts where, you know, you'll you'll hit certain tar bo uh, bo bonus targets, um, you know, provided you play three, four internationals and so on. That's pending selection as well. He's, yeah. So obviously, you know, is he going to be around for the next cycle of the World Cup? Highly unlikely as a 36-year-old. 
never say never, but it's unlikely considering the quality coming through. So this is, from, from Sean's perspective, this is a business decision that, you know, he's getting paid up front. He, he, you know, he realises the likelihood is that he's not going to um, be selected for Ireland thereafter. Um, so look after your future and, and try and you know, get the, the longest contract that is out there with a club that, that want to have you on board. And I think De Declan Kidney is being very smart about, about the way he's running London Irish with regard to trying to plug you know, as many Irish players back into the system as he can and make it that Irish club again and get that exiles aspect going because it, it's fallen off mass massively totally, yeah. in the last few years and there's no identity there. Whereas that the supporters that follow London Irish over there want they, they're called Irish. They're yeah. not called London Irish. They're called Irish. Yeah. So they want Irish players in there and, so, and Irish players to shout for. Yeah, Sean O'Brien's going to put bums on seats for London Irish. It's he 100% is. Like, you know, he's, he's an icon of Irish rugby, one of our greatest ever back row players, and uh, they're getting a good deal. Let's talk about the game this weekend. Um, the Henshaw decision obviously came in for a lot of examination after his performance. Um, I thought the knee-jerk reactions that he had to go back in at fullback this week, otherwise the experiment had been a complete disaster, was kind of nonsensical because if you need him in the centre and also Rob Kearney is our first choice fullback. It's your bite, bite your nose off to spite your face. Um, you know, it didn't work out for whatever reason. I think a multitude of reasons he wasn't quite at it, um, albeit, as I said before, you know, not worthy of the criticism that, that was... Um, directed towards him, and then we played against a far superior team. So for his first outing, it, w it wasn't going to be, be the tough. most favourable for yeah. him. So um, I think Joe Schmidt probably realised that um, he needs to win this game. He needs, um, you know, he, he needs his most secure players and his most confident and experienced players. Rob Carney's definitely one of those. And then immediately, particularly with Gary uh, Ringrose injured, you plug him back into the 13 jersey, you're not going to lose anything there. Yeah. So um, it's just really unfortunate for, for Henshaw that as a, he picked up a dead leg in, in training and, um, and he has to sit this one out. And, and what's more disappointing is having to sit it out off the back of a loss and giving Chris Farrell a great opportunity to, to showcase himself. So that, you know, we, we talk about the... You know, we're starting to question our strength and depth in the second row. Now we're getting to a taste of our strength and depth in the centre, where we've got, you know, the likes of Chris Farrell to come in, and even guys like Niall Scannell and Stuart McCluskey that aren't getting a look in internationally, and Tom, Tom Farrell in Connacht. Uh, when we have a, ca a player of the calibre of Chris Farrell to come in and yeah. uh, and play, and, and he will be hungry. Imagine what, what you know the quality of ball that he's going to carry, the advantage line that he's going to give you. So, it makes for very interesting viewing. Yeah, I mean it's um, it is one of those situations, Keith, where the possession of the jersey at some point over the next couple of months is going to be all important because you will roll into the World Cup in possession of the jersey, and that might just be because of a dead leg picked up in training. And I'm not saying that that's the case in, in this instance with Henshaw, but it might be, and it could be for any of the players at this stage. Yeah, I'm kind of laughing at the fact I haven't heard somebody been out for a dead leg for an age, um, but I just pick them up all the time. They're a bloody horrible injury. Um, look, I'm a fan of Ringrose. I think he is our star 13. Um, I think he puts a huge amount of skill into that back line, and we look very, very sharp when he plays there. Um, but I love... Farrell. I love the option that he gives. He is so... I was trying to describe it to somebody yesterday. You kind of forget when you're not involved and you're not around anymore. When you kind of meet Chris Farrell, he's a beast of a man. Like, he's is he 6'4", 6'4 plus? Um, I don't know what he's weighing in. That's 105, 106 kilos. He offers a huge, different threat from Gary Ringrose. And I do think that you do get a chance and an opportunity you can kind of be bumbled back down that pecking order again very quickly. But he's a man to do a very particular job, I think. Um, I would have him on the plane to, um, to Japan anyway. I just think he offers something very different. I thought that the decision to pick Henshaw at fullback was all about the 31 that are on the plane. That if you can have Robbie Henshaw play fullback, you don't need one of your spare fullbacks. So now you can get those four centres. You just stick them on the plane. You're like, those four seats are gone. Yeah, it wasn't with the view to excluding Rob Kearney. Rob no. Kearney's still going to be part of that squad, probably still going first to choice. be the first choice. Henshaw had, a, it was an audition for to see how great he could be. It didn't go as, as favourable as, as he would have liked. And so as a result, we automatically go back and think Rob Kearney is our, our, is our, our, um, our World Cup starting fullback. But 
does does he have confidence if Rob Kearney does uh, Joe Schmidt have confidence if Rob Kearney is injured in the warm-up games to put Jordan Larmer in at fullback for a World Cup quarter-final? That question I'm not sure as a starting in a starting berth, and or that's Conley, why he wanted that's why he wanted Robbie Henshaw because he's been a mainstay of his team for the last five years. Yeah, and he wants to know. He, he knew he has a has a, a flexibility to where he can play. It's his favourite position, so why not give him an opportunity to be back up in that position? So I think the odds are quite high that if Rob Car- if if everybody's fit, if we win the game. If um, if we lose the game, all bets are off. But that there's a good chance that Henshaw gets another audition, perhaps in the Italy game at fullback. That it would make sense to go. You know, your your last memory is going to be a good performance and a good experience. Or or they play Will Addison at fullback in in one of the games where maybe is he you know he plays fullback, wing, and centre. So he's a brilliant player to bring on a World Cup. You're not going to get he's not going to get a lot of game time. But as backup to be able to plug holes and play in the 23, 23. if you pick up a couple of injuries, yeah. he is a prime suspect for, for you know for selection. So does he give him an outing um, during the Six Nations? I think he does. Yeah, I mean that was the other question. Um, Partic- sorry, particularly with Conway's injury. Yeah, poor so, Conway. Like poor Conway. It's 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 just like, going from bad to worse for him. Just the timing of his like his timing of his injuries is is so unfortunate because he's been in great form in in the lead up to you know, November Test series or lead up to Six Nations, particularly last year as well. You know, Jordan Armour wouldn't have been the one in the twenty three. I wouldn't have imagined it would have been Conway and yeah. um, and just very unfortunate. So. Um, you've got to take advantage of that if you're a, a Will Addison or, or whoever might get uh, a chance of playing in that 15 jersey. Yeah, on that, Keith, was um, Josh van der Fleer a little bit fortunate because he's not somebody who we would predict ending up at 8 or 6 generally in a match. So uh, as cover, as a specialist 7 the way he is, um, you know, he must be feeling a little bit uncomfortable as well at the minute. Yeah, I, I look. I, it's very hard to use last Saturday as a, as an example for how you gauge any of our players. I think if we if we make or accept the fact that we were off the mark, um, it's very hard to level anything against him. He's proven too much over the last number of years um, to be discarded at any stage. I understand why Sean O'Brien has brought back in. I, you know, absolutely, um, because he. He made a difference when he came on. He had energy. He had talk. He carried. He got over the gain line. Um, and there's different co- horses for courses. But no, I, I think it's. I think Van der Fleer is unlucky, but I still think it's the right call. And I don't think it marks the beginning of anything negative for him. I think he's a top player for us. And we've had injury there all the time. We need all that strength and depth. Yeah, I suppose if um, if eight gets injured. O'Brien can move there, and that's that's where that. Yeah, there's a there's a double position yeah. switch. You know, yeah. I, I I don't think it, you know, really matters. That you don't always have a perfect like for like, um, positional change. Well, um, nice in, a, in, a, in a perfect world, you do, but that that rarely happens. Yeah. Where someone plays in all three back row positions seamlessly, just like Sean O'Brien, but like Sean O'Brien. Yeah. So that's yeah. why he's a brilliant bench player, and and maybe the, it'll come to that in in the World Cup, depending on his fitness and depending on his form. I can't see him being excluded from the 23, no. provided he's, he's fit and, and healthy. Yeah, and that will be, if everybody ever gets fit, one of the most um, keenly contested uh, training ground battles that we're never going to get to see, but might be in years to come, they'll make a documentary about it. Uh, about the Scotland team, um, the concern that a lot of people would have is that they ripped us apart quite easily two years ago at Murrayfield. Their Murrayfield form is sensational. They've got the confidence of their provinces running well, and they've got the confidence of that first fifty minutes against Italy, where they were good as well. Yeah, they were. They, like they weren't. Um, they weren't without their errors in that first half. You know, there was a, a lot of um, you know unforced errors. Um, you know, yes, it was a bit of pressure, and it's a test match against a Six Nations team, but created lots of opportunities for themselves and, and didn't take full advantage of it. Um, I think they probably would have gone in at half-time a little bit frustrated. They definitely would have been frustrated with the last 10 minutes of their defence and I'd be fuming if I was a defensive coach conceding three late tries like that to, to completely flatter a scoreline. Um, but it's a very different proposition against this Irish team that's hurting and it's interesting, you know, you know congratulations to Blair, Blair Kinghorn, you score a hat-trick and, and you're on the bench. Yeah. Um, and I find that an interesting one. And, you know, uh, Maitland, I've seen a lot of him this season. He's a very good finisher, he, he knows where the try line is, but um, I think there's definitely a few question marks around his defence, so I'd be going after him. Um, 
you know, in the air is reasonable, but I would definitely be trying to um, be aggressive, be excessively aggressive with him. Um, you know, when I'm carrying the ball into him, or whether or when I'm attacking him or isolating him. Um, but yeah, there's definitely firepower in that Scottish backline for sure. I like the look of Sam Johnson, who was on t debut last week. You know, distributor, no nonsense, good tackler. Um, the sort of twelve, solid twelve that lots of teams like having a kind of a Brad Barrett type player, um, but you know maybe a little bit more elusive and um, and yeah with Hogg and um, and Tommy Seymour and Jones you, you have some quality players and, and when Finn Russell's going well if he gets decent front football he can pull some strings so you know we have to stop it up front and and really be the aggressor in the pack and and then uh, you know as I said it, it becomes a much easier game um, from a game plan perspective for the halfbacks and just reading here to you know comments on Joe Schmidt talking about Johnny Sexton and Conor Murray, you know, they mm. won't be as disappointing as they were last weekend. By their standards, they were, they were off the boil and expect a huge reaction from the two of them. I, I would anticipate them being very, very good this weekend. He said he felt they were a bit undercooked. He didn't use that language, obviously, but that they're coming back. They haven't played that much rugby in a while. And that was true. And, you know, you're obviously not going to play anybody else over those two, but maybe they did need to play a little bit more. And maybe there's a bit of a lesson there that you can't have players just coming back if you have somebody else who's been playing all the time, get them in the team and let the lads know. Like we, one, we obviously value you as our first choice players, but you have to be fully at it. Hard, hard to leave the world player of the year out of the team, though, isn't it? Yeah. And, yeah, when he's when he's fit. Sorry, Keith. Yeah, and it was just also it wasn't just the two of those that were coming back, and maybe we overlooked that last week that um, Henshaw hadn't played uh, a huge amount. You know, Sean O'Brien hadn't played a huge amount. Um, I think Aki had been out for a while. You know, there was a lot of people who'd had, you know, injuries. So maybe we, maybe that was part of it. You know. Yeah, and and look, the management of that is always a precarious enough thing. Um, so Ireland to beat Scotland in a tight bit of a nail biter here, or the uh, doom and gloom to continue into next week. We don't want it to continue at all. Anyway, I, I look, I'm thinking Finn Russell. I, he's improved an awful lot since he's gone over to France. I think he has. Um, he often doesn't have great back-to-back -back games. He can do things brilliantly, and then he can um, do things that are not brilliant. Um, and we need to be putting him under as much pressure as possible. So we need to do pretty much what happened last week. No front football, not giving him space because he can be a bit of a wizard. I mean, it's amazing, actually, how close he is to Gregor Townsend in that it's a slightly mad, erratic way of playing, but brilliant at times, but doesn't always come off. But he has a very similar style, and he's been given that freedom to play. So if he gets space, he can do a lot of damage. Carlos Spencer style. I don't know if it's that loose, but... Um, no. And I think Gregor probably wasn't even as loose as, as, as Russell. You know, he's on his day, he is majestic to watch, but when he's going backwards, he needs to just rein it in a small bit. And he's beginning to learn that as well. Um, albeit he's playing with a team that doesn't have that mentality over in, in France. But he, he'll need that. he need good control and focus this weekend to keep his team going forward uh, because he's going to get an onslaught coming at him. Yeah. Are Ireland going to win? I, I think they will win, um, but it'll be tight. I think it'll be tight. I think it'll be um, yeah, less than five. Um, maybe just get it done. Just um, grind it out. Um, and th they're in for an absolute war up front. You know, Ryan Wilson winds teams up um, you know, respective of who he's playing against. So he'll be a big target for them. I thought um, Keane played well last week and could have actually had another 10 or 15 minutes, but the rest of the front row probably needs to put in a big performance this year. Well, de definitely Rory Best does. I think you know he didn't have one of his better performances. Ty Furlong just got out-muscled, and I think England had his number. They saw him as a big ball carrier for us and, and knocked him over the advantage line. So he'll be angry with that. Yeah, because we've never seen it. And our scrum was only... Okay, compared to where it had been. So, you know, there's so much to improve on, and, and that's what gives it great scope. I think they will they will relish the opportunity of being much better, and and you know, and and they'll have read some of the things that were said this week, and and laughed and and themselves about, you know, how fickle things ca can get. That you know, they've got themselves to the best position uh, in in world in, they've ever been in world rugby in the rankings. And yet one game and you, know, you seem to fall off a cliff. So um, all, a lot can be forgiven um, with a big performance this weekend and, and let that performance take care of the result. Um, yeah, yeah I, I don't think, um, 
I don't think they'll be they'll be far off uh, from a mental perspective. That's for sure. There's uh, loads of comments coming in about the atmosphere. We'll get to them again sometime. I just want one quick word about the England France game before we go. With England on a roll and Twickenham no doubt ready on a Sunday afternoon, Keith, for the swing low to be echoing around the bowels for about 20 minutes before kickoff. There's a good chance that England are reborn and that they kill France this weekend. Yeah, um, if England play to that standard, and I, I think they won't play, they won't try and do every single part. I think it'll be more expansive than it was against Ireland because I think they need to be. Um, I think they could do some damage over there, all right. Um, but having said that, France played brilliantly for for 40 minutes. And really brilliantly for 40 minutes. And then just stupid mistakes. I mean... Uh, like we're talking about being off a tiny bit for maybe 5% and our, we kind of unravel a little bit last week. They just gifted tries, you know, stupid tries. I mean, the, um, I can't pronounce his name, um, the second row. Vahamina. Go on, I got there. Um, he, uh, like that was a third pass in a row that was rubbish. And we were always taught, don't shovel rubbish. We never called it rubbish, but don't shovel it, you know. And the one bad pass to it, like an infection to the next pass, like an infection to the like there was no thought process whatsoever mm. to that. But and it, with that, they could have, they actually could have won the game. But it, it, I don't know if you saw that on social media, typified Valmina's comments on the Monday, you know, when um, he said that uh, Wayne Barnes came up to him and said, uh, Captain, uh, decision there, um, you know, penalty or, or, or scrum or line out. He was like, oh, I'll go and ask the captain. You're the captain. Yeah. And that Jacques Brunel or no one had told him at any time he may be captain. Yeah. Like that does, that, that's not a great look. Excessively French. <laughs> <laughs> but with, with what you get with teams being excessively French is that we can have one off performances. I don't see it happening this weekend. Um, you know, there's knee jerk reaction again. You've got Dumaru and, and Bastereau's back in and. Um, and, and to Max down to the bench and, um, and Fofan, I don't know whether he's injured or not, but he's gone out of the 23, so it's a bit knee-jerky. Yeah. Um, but I think England on a high now, they're riding a crest of a wave, they're in great shape. I, I just fancy them to have too much. And to Keith's point, I actually expect them to be fairly similar in terms of game plan because um, all the praise that Mitchell was getting this week was that he'd simplified everything and that everybody had very clear instructions about what they had to do. And, you know, if a team knows it's got one job and they're going to do it really well and they're going to do it for the 80 minutes, it's a very nice place to be in. How did England win the World Cup in 2003? Power game up front, control at, at half-back, Matt Dawson, Johnny Wilkinson, and power runners in the centre, Will Greenwood and Mike Tyndall, and good finishers out back. It, it's, it's, when you break it down, it seems very simplified, but yeah. they absolutely took teams on physically up front. That's what they've always done best. And when they beat teams, when they beat the superpowers, they always beat them up first and foremost. And that's what they did to us last week, and it'll be no difference in the crunch, as they call it. Yeah, well, enjoy the weekend, folks. Thanks very much for joining us, to uh, Brian and to Keith and to everybody out there watching and listening. Thanks very much for being part of this. If you uh, want to leave a comment for us, you can tweet us at Off The Ball. We'll see you soon. Brian O'Driscoll on Off The Ball with Vodafone, official sponsors of the Irish rugby team. Team of us, everyone in.